It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall. Jamie Dew. All right. Thank you so much, Doug Donats. It is great to be here with you all inside the SNL Hall of Fame. The door is wide open. It's inviting you inside. There's just one caveat. Look down at the mat that I've purchased. Read it. It says, wipe them up. Do it up. Wipe those feet. So there's that. I am really excited about this week's episode, episode seven. We're on episode seven already. So I hope you're taking uh, tally at home because uh, you've got 20 votes and we've already given you six nominees. This is going to be the seventh. The seventh. Can you believe it? Season four, episode seven. We're in the big time. We're almost in syndication. (laughs) <laughs> no, we're nowhere near syndication. Uh, but that's uh, that's pretty much what I want to tell you, is that this year voting is going to be similar but different. You don't have to register, but I will be sending out emails to everybody who has registered. You will need your email to vote, and it's going to be great fun. Now, this week on the episode, we've invited our friend Dave Buckman to join us to have a conversation with Thomas Senna about Chris Parnell. And I'm excited about that. But before we uh, get into that conversation, why don't we wander on over to that 90-degree corner where our friend Matt Ardill likes to loiter and spew out minutia in Matt's Minutia Minute on Chris Parnell. Matt, my friend, how are you doing? Hey, Jamie, thanks for having me. One of my favorite folks from the SNL cast. I have always loved Chris. Uh, he He's what I call a utility player in the improv world. He just, he's up for anything and is a great scene partner. So I can't wait to get started. Well, then let's uh, get right at it. Chris Parnell, five foot eight, born February 5th, 1967. 1967. What a year that was. Canada was a 100 years old, and uh, I digress. Continue. Born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, his dad, Jack Parnell, is an established voiceover artist and the image voice for multiple Memphis businesses and TV stations. So we know where Chris gets his soothing, dulcet tones that make him the perfect voice in animated shows. In high school, he announced football games and played one of the brothers in their production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. A theater nerd, his dream is to play Edmund in a production of King Lear, which I would pay money to see. A trained stage fighter with with a BFA in fine arts from the University of North Carolina, He is consistently getting in stage fights. Uh, Once a nerd, always a nerd. We do like our swords. After graduation and before joining the Groundlings, he briefly fell out of love with acting after a failed apprentice actor program at the Alley Theater in Texas. So he returned home to work as a high school teacher uh, before getting bit by the acting bug again. At uh, what that point, he moved to L.A., where he worked at FAO Schwartz, starting as a sales clerk and ending as operations manager, all the while studying as a Groundlings member. His favorite film is Chariots of Fire. His favorite TV show is Twin Peaks. And his favorite book is the selected poetry of Rainer Maria Rilke. So, yes, he is basically Cyril Figgis. Before his peak guest role as Dr. Speckelman, or Dr. Spaceman, in 30 Rock, he had guest spots on shows that included Seinfeld and Murphy Brown with over 190 
two acting credits. He's appeared in three shows besides Archer with his Archer co-star Judy Greer. He was in Mad Love, Misguided, and Glenn Martin, DDS. A profoundly private person, he avoids the spotlight as much as possible, despite taking some of the most outrageous roles of his colleagues and peers. Well done, Matt. As always, thank you so much. We appreciate your hard work and uh, look forward to it as always. Talk to you next week. But for now, let's head downstairs to our friend Dave Buckman and Thomas Senna. Matt and Jamie, thank you so much. And yes, we are doing another episode here at the SNL Hall of Fame, an episode I've been looking forward to. The uh, nominee today, one of my favorite cast members uh, back in his era, and an uh, I think an underappreciated cast member, Chris Parnell. So excited to be talking about Chris Parnell. And the first person when Chris Parnell was drafted in our nominee draft that I thought of to have here as my guest on the SNL Hall of Fame to talk about Chris Parnell, to share an appreciation of Chris Parnell. The very first person I thought of to bring in is Dave Buckman. So Dave, how are you doing today? Ready to talk some Chris? I am so excited to talk Chris. I've been waiting for somebody to ask me publicly how I feel <laughs> about Chris Parnell. And today is the day. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. So I, I've heard you on different podcasts. You've been on with us before, and I know you've tr- you've snuck in your appreciation for oh, Chris Parnell. Every my goal now is and to then. meet this guy. So, yeah, my antenna went someday. up. When, yeah, when you when you uh, have, when I've heard you talk about Chris Parnell on other mm-hmm. podcasts and stuff, you know, I, I kind of filed that away because I figured we'd be talking about him at some point. So you were the absolute perfect person to talk about him. My plan worked. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. So, uh, so getting into it with Chris, I mean, what just, what compels you? I've heard you use a lot of superlatives for Chris. I mean, yeah. what draws you to Chris Parnell? You're a sketch comedian yourself. So I'm interested to get that perspective too, as far as what draws you to Chris Parnell. Yeah. I'm a sketch comedian, uh, a performer, but also very much a director. You know, I worked at second city. I worked at boom Chicago directing sketches. I've been a cold town theater for last 17 years doing improv and sketch shows. So I, I've seen thousands of improv auditions. I've seen thousands of sketches. I've been in hundreds of rehearsals. Um, I just know what it takes to drive a comedy scene, whether that's improvised, whether that's live, whether that's on video, whether it's sketch. And I am in awe of the talents of Chris Parnell. Since Harold Ramis died, Chris Parnell has become my comedy North Star of what I think is the consummate person that you need in a troupe. Chris doesn't have a lot of like flashy, big-time sketches, but a lot of amazing sketches wouldn't have happened and wouldn't have been nearly as special without Chris Parnell in them. He holds an emotional tone, not just throughout the sketch, but from beat to beat within the sketch. And a lot of um, what we call straight men in the comedy biz. I don't really love that term anymore. I'm trying to create uh, the reasoner. Yeah, the reasoner. <laughs> the, okay. The reasoner. That's, I'm going to try to use the reasoner okay. when I talk about Chris. Because the reasoner in a sketch is holding uh, the audience perspective the entire time. And a lot of what we consider to be great reasoners in the history of Saturday Night Live, you got your like David Spades, your Dan Aykroyds, your Tinas, your Hartmans, Beck, Hader. They're all really, really good, but there's always a little something off that doesn't make them perfect, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kevin Nealon, David Spade, they have a smirk when they're doing it a little bit. Tim Meadows or Bill Hader can come along as a little wooden when they're doing it, when they're not the star of the sketch. Aykroyd, Tina can undersell moments a little too much. Hartman, Phil Hartman and Beck oversell those moments a little too much sometimes. No one does it like Chris Parnell. Maybe Jan Hooks comes closest. But even Jan Hooks can oversell a moment a little too much. Chris Parnell plays that emotional beat exactly where it needs to be. He's, but he's emotionally 
honest about transitioning for what the next joke needs. Because that's where the other ones get caught in is a sketch comedy, comedic, absurd character needs to act crazy. And what Chris does is he can emotionally be grounded for the next setup. And he's got to do a lot of emotional gymnastics to get from one beat to the next for the next person. And that's why, proficiently, I love watching Chris Parnell be the wingman in a sketch. I think that's why that whole explanation, I think that's why he's so perfect in like uh, absurd sketches because he can sell that absurdity, but not oversell it. I think you're, you hit on something perfectly because when I think of his time, especially early on at SNL, it's these really absurd uh, sketches that like, especially with stuff he's done with Will Ferrell or Christopher Walken, where he just conveys the right tone. Like he, I think he trusts the audience enough not to rely on his smirk or his wink right. to the audience exactly. to get exactly. the joke. It's never there. It's right. never there. His Chris Parnell's characters believe what is happening to them. And whether he is running in with a trident and a chain <laughs> ready to kill his boss, Mr. Tarkanian, or he is getting the bad news that the bad doctor lost his daughter, mm-hmm. or he's getting humped by Mango and The Rock at the same time, he is emotionally honest and reacting the same way a human being would, but performatively, demonstratively, right? Without selling out the person inside that character. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good way to put it. Then the first sketch that you you just brought up, that when you were giving me that description, that that I thought of was the Doctor Beeman sketch with Will ah, Ferrell and Molly Shannon. So talk us through like son of a Von Druk. Yeah, <laughs> son of a Von Druk. Like talk us through like Chris's role in that sketch. Oh, there's a moment in that sketch that gets me every time. It's when he, he he's very angry at Will Ferrell, but he is a straight shooter. I gotta tell you, you have angered me with your irresponsibility. And yet, at the same time, you are a straight shooter. And I can't fault you for that. We'll let it slide. But just this once, Right, that one moment where Chris Parnell's character has his baby lost, doctor won't talk to him, he's been called a Von Druk, you know, his wife's been insulted. He's going to give this doctor just one more chance because his judgment call, way off base, his judgment call is this guy's a straight shooter. And that to me is the epitome of the low status character's job in a sketch or an improv scene is to reluctantly agree to the bad thing in the in the scene continuing to happen they can't they're not allowed to win that fight that's where a lot of improv students ruin a scene by insisting their character doesn't want the thing to happen so they they try to win that argument and a good comedic improviser will let the bad thing continue to happen one baby step at a time incrementally not big steps not little steps just the next logical step and parnell is perfect at that moment in any scene, in letting the bad thing continue to happen, which is that scene is a masterclass in that. It's, for, for it's perfect, and yeah, and that in that sketch in particular, so many bad things happen. Look, I couldn't think of anything good. Uh, the truth is, we misplaced your baby. Is that an actual curse word? I think so. <laughs> He's just throwing so much absurdity at him, but Chris Parnell isn't oh, like overselling that absurdity. It's I think you're right. It's the exact right beat that needs to happen. He's he's in that scene with Molly Shannon too, yeah. and even Mo- like Molly doesn't sell it. Like especially when Tim Meadows comes in as Doctor yeah. Poop, Chris maintains what what you're talking Tim- about. Tim Meadows is a little, he's funny in that scene, very funny, but he is underselling that moment. Molly is breaking. Will is even breaking. Yeah, Will's, Will's Chris, rubbing his eyes because he's like trying yes. to hold his laughter. He does that thing where he rubs, yeah. Yeah, rubs the corners of his eyes near his nose, and he's, he's trying not to, that's Will's tail when he's trying not to break. But Parnell, as they call him, the Iceman, does not break. Mm-hmm. I think he almost, he looks down, he smiles, but it's not out of character in that moment. 
people say that's where he broke, but I don't believe it. I, I, I if he broke, it was so subtle to, as to not even be recognizable. Exactly. You, and it, you would but, not even if you didn't know Chris Parnell, watch every single thing he does, you would never notice him. Yeah, exactly. Especially in that sketch when when uh, Will says we misplaced your baby, Will cracks up in his voice and yeah. Molly starts giggling. Yeah. But Chris is just hell. like Iceman. Right he's in there. the moment. He's in the moment. He's in the he's in the zone. And it's not this is not funny to his character. I'm sure it's very funny to Chris, but it's not funny to his character. And that's the difference in and I'm terrible. I am very easy to break on stage. If I if I'm with a good reasoner, I've had the fortune of working with some amazing reasoners in my life at Improv Olympic with um Rob Smith and at uh at Cold Town with Bob McNichol. Uh and those guys could break me very easily i'm very you know because they're so serious about what is happening and delivering terrible absurd news with a straight face and uh boy oh boy they got me every time yeah would you say like a good reasoner like chris is so would you say that's like a thankless role in in, in yes. sketches and here's here's why here's how you can tell he got fired because right. they didn't see the value lorne had to cut him for budget reasons right and he was so good and so missed that Will Farrell, who can carry anyone and anything by himself, says, I need this guy to be as funny. I need this guy in-house to be as funny as I can be. Get him back. Yeah. And then him and Catan and the writers go to Lorne and they say, "If you know, all, but if Will Farrell goes to bat for you like that and they, li- and they listen to him, that man belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's huge. Like it, it just shocks me that after three seasons. So to set this up, Chris Parnell started at SNL in September of '98, season 24. He did three seasons, which I thought was were fantastic. He was like a budding kind of Phil Hartman type, I yep. guess. And he gets fired for they say for budget reasons after season 26. But uh, I don't know. And you're right. Like a legend like Will Ferrell. Going to bat for Chris, saying, you know, he's 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 like a perfect scene partner for somebody like Will Ferrell. That's why they did he's, so he's, much together. He, but not only did he do so much with Will, which is evident because you know some of his greatest things are with Will, like Cowbell. But he's also a wingman to anybody in that cast. He does the Bloater Brothers with uh, Jimmy Fallon. He does the Demarco Brothers with Catan. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's constantly the 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 put upon doctor and the mango sketches. There's a reason why he is the wingman in all of these scenes is because he can match energy with anybody. That's all he's doing in the DeMarco brothers and the Bloater brothers. He is doing Jimmy Fallon. He is doing Chris Kattan. He's just, he's so good at being your wingman and he's so good at being the contrasting opposite of whatever you need. He can do either. He's a utility player that can lead a sketch. He can rap, he can sing, he can dance, he can follow your lead or he can contrast your character and that is so valuable you hear about all these people that like my dream cast my dream cast man if i don't have chris parnell in that dream cast then it's i don't think it's nearly as good of a cast we've done episodes here on the snl hall of fame on christopher walken and will ferrell and of course we spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time uh, reminiscing fondly and talking about the uh, cowbell sketch right but i think that that sketch isn't as fondly remembered. I think it unravels without Chris Parnell's presence to, to, to keep it to keep it glued together. And you know, from your sketch comedy experience, just like can you tell our audience and maybe specifically using that Calvo sketch as an example, like how important is it to have a grounding presence in a sketch like that? That's we would no one no one would remember that scene if Chris Parnell wasn't in that scene because he played that part so well. Never broke. Again, emotionally honest, exactly what that lead singer would be feeling and saying. But here's where he nails it. It's the moment when he sighs, big sigh, and says, Gene, wait. Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now with us together? He shifts. That's the emotional moment in that scene. When everything comes together and nobody can sell that moment like Chris Parnell. You have to be a phenomenal actor to sell that moment honestly. Because it's such a change in point of view. It's obviously going to be the end of the sketch because the main conflict just got resolved. But how do you resolve such a silly, silly moment with emotional weight being lifted 
so that we could just jam again. I mean, that moment right. is, it's a celebration at the end of the scene, right? It doesn't, they don't break up. Gene is remembered fondly for the cowbell. Exactly. And it's because Chris Parnell's character shifted and felt something. And we all felt that moment and it lifted that moment. And that's, I'd say, half of why that sketch is remembered today. Yeah, and even though it's written on I the mean, page for Horatio, he's, Horatio certain, certainly doesn't sell it. He's saying it with a little giggle. He's saying, I think his line was like, yeah, Gene, we we love you or whatever. Like, he speaks for all of us. But he, he but speaks Horatio for all of us, man. Yeah, but even though it was a funny, it was a good line, but Horatio I didn't Horatio quite, so like, bring it together like Chris, like like you'd mentioned Chris did right? in that yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of things like that. Like, um, you know, the Wade Blazing game. The lawyer that sues dogs for assault and property damage, which is hysterical. And Chris Parnell does not say one word in the sketch and steals it because he's running around in blue pair of underwear, humping people, pooping on lawns. And then they give him this like back shot behind Will's character where he's got like weird, he's got a weird face, uh, facial expression where he's facial. Maybe he's been attacked by a dog at some point. I don't know. He just looks like he's been through the ringer, but he's, the main character's brother. And he's he's amazing in that scene, but it's all physical. Yeah. It's all physical. And you can't even like play that example of his brilliance on, on this podcast because you wouldn't see how brilliant he is in that. You got Centaur with um Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. A, a brilliant yeah. sketch. That's some of Parnell's best work. One on one. I think. One yeah. on one. Uh Mercury Mistress, where he humps the car. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the main ones that 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 stood out to me too. Yeah. With this God, it's just I think Mercury Mistress and the uh, Wade Blazing game sketches both an yes. example of like Chris not being afraid to do humiliating physical comedy, but he does it in like an earnest sort of way uh, that you know. Clown penis dot fart. I don't know if you remember that one. That's a great. <laughs> yes, it's a website. Yeah, that's the the Dylan Edwards investments. And yes. uh, there was only one web address left in the entire world because they were getting scooped up left and right in the late 90s. And that web address was www.clownpenis.far. <laughs> in that sketch, yes. Chris was like the spokesman, right? He was like the yes. spokesperson. And, I, and something that stood out to Chris for me was that just his his whole gravitas, like that's a word that I kept yeah. coming back to with uh-huh. Chris Parnell was gravitas like do you get that like as much as i do when you watched him perform and take the lead in a lot of that stuff phil hartman also had that gravitas but phil hartman was making fun of that gravitas that's why he was so he was so good at that at making fun of that gravitas even when he's playing lionel hutz on the simpsons he's making fun of that gravitas right there's something in his voice that lets you know that phil hartman is in on the joke i there's no concept for me there's like zero chris parnell's personality and anything he delivers it's all the character's personality and that's a great example of that where he can sell that real authoritative manly presidential you can trust me because i'm a white man voice (laughs) yeah basically yeah and i think chris's brilliance and his mark in comedy is that he represents to me the fall of the patriarchy he plays the 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 dumb, the beta, the uh, uh, the the secretly dumb, the secretly crazy, the the not worthy of respect white guy. So well, he does that in Rick and Morty. He does that in Archer. He does that in Thirty Rock. Right, three of his greatest. I mean, he, I mean, his list of what he's done since Saturday Night Live is bonkers. It's it's every comedy show you've ever heard of, and any movie that that Saturday Night Live players play. Anyway, but. He's came exactly at the right time for the fall of the white man uh, <laughs> to be uh, where the where that comedy shifted. He's kind of perfected that character in comedy uh, yeah. throughout comedy. Children's Hospital, Murphy Brown, The Simpsons, Samurai Jack, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Drunk History, Glee, The Goldbergs, Grownish, Blackish, American Dad, Bosberg, guest, it's, it's, guest stars. Like you're going to bring them onto your show. And he's going to elevate it. Everybody. That much. Seinfeld. Curvy enthusiasm. Yeah. 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 He's, he's like had such a huge part. And or even the, his small parts seem huge because he's so memorable. I'm so, when he pops up, I get so excited. Uh, yeah. I absolutely. So 
And I, I think he had, and not that like Phil Hartman and the other, uh, uh, the other people of his ilk didn't, but I think Chris Parnell has such a respect for his audience that he, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have to wink, wink at it. And, and, and it's right. just my, what, some of my favorite comedy is in that, like you trust me enough to understand the joke that's inherent here and you yes. don't need to, to be a ham about it. And exactly. The, and Happy smile patrol. I don't know if you remember that one. Um, it was a sketch in his first season. It was toward the end of Chris's first season. And it's about this, uh, children's show called happy smile patrol it's sherry o'terry uh-huh. will ferrell john goodman is it was hosting that show so he's in it chris Catan, and they play this uh-huh. children's uh show called happy smile patrol so they're airing the show and then they break into the news and chris parnell plays a news anchor <laughs> a final tragic note in the terrifying deadly saga of the happy smile patrol William Soros, Brenda Panhauser, and Alan Guyton, after shooting down an army helicopter, have now taken their own lives. A SWAT team found them just moments ago, victims of self-immolation and shotgun blast to the face. Once again, Teddy Tickles, Glenda Giggles, and Harry Hugs have now taken their own lives after a killing spree that claimed, among others, Cuddly Kevy. A tragic, tragic day. We now return to the Happy Smile Patrol. So it's all the, this really dark content about Happy Smile Patrol. And then they go back to the show. Then they break into the news again. And I think Chris, as the newscaster, his gravitas and his delivery play so yeah. perfectly next to that the absurdity of what was happening in the sketch. Even after he left the second time, they would bring him back to play news anchors in the cold open for the presidential debates. That's how important he is. And that's how good he is in that role. He's playing Tom Brokaw or Jim Lair or anyone about in the Bush administration that's appearing on um, Hardball. Hardball. Hardball, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, so anyone about in the Bush administration appearing on Hardball, you know, he, he brings that authoritative voice that is full of shit. You that's know? a perfect and, way to put know, it. There's one sketch, I mean, besides Lazy Sunday, which anybody, everybody knows about how important Lazy Sunday was. There's one sketch that I love that he's, that he's in. That doesn't get a lot. Nobody knows about it. And I just want the world to know about it. As long as you're a Chris Parnell fan, I imagine you've made it this far into the podcast. Uh, let me hip you to this one from uh, a Cameron Diaz episode called the Holland Tunnel Hotel, okay. where it is a uh, staff meeting for a one-star hotel uh, that is next to the Holland Tunnel. And Chris Parnell is in a suit, and he's trying to get the staff together to kind of up their game a little bit so that they can maybe become a two-star hotel. Ah, uh, Benjamin, may I trouble you for a moment of your time? Ah, uh, what do you want now? Well, as the new manager of this hotel, I want to remind you that part of your job includes asking the guests whether they've enjoyed their stay at the hotel. Well, that guy, he sells guns to drug dealers. Well, with that attitude, we're always going to be a one-star hotel. I'm calling a staff meeting. Staff meeting! Staff meeting! Staff meeting! And, you know, everybody's on drugs or a sex worker or uh, just like, you know, just people who don't care about getting to be a two-star hotel. Chris is so earnest in that moment. I love the way he plays that moment. I've always loved that scene. I just watched it. It's a little problematic now, uh, These, but as is most of the show from the early 2000s. But... It is uh, some of his best work, I think, and it it just brings me such joy the way he what he brings into that character. His earnestness just allows yes. me as a viewer to jump on board with whatever he's trying to sell me or what whatever yes, his goals yes. are as a character in that sketch. He's so earnest, yeah, so he's earnest. so earnest that I just kind of I'm on board with with whatever he wants to do. Let's get this one star hotel. <sighs> to become a two-star hotel and damn it i'm like invested in this because chris's delivery is making me invested (laughs) in that premise yes that's so awesome yeah the centaur one with christopher walken i wanted to kind of go back to real quick because i think this is some of chris's best work and we highlight it for on christopher walken's end but what Chris Parnell does in this i mean not only is the written premise ridiculous but Parnell is dressed as a centaur. So he's trying to, he's he's delivering this while physically looking absurd. It's not just the words and premise that are absurd, 
Parnell looks absurd in this makeup yes. and costume. And the way he's talking about being a centaur and Walken is asking him personal questions about being a centaur. Yes. But it's not like Parnell as the centaur is getting upset or overly offended. He's Sensitive. entertaining these questions. And I love Because it. he gets them all the time. Now, could you make the back half of you into glue? And then could the person part of you use that glue to repair a bird feeder? Yes. Do you dump wherever you're standing? Or do you use toilets? Or do you use some magical centaur toilet? We use regular bathrooms. Do you use special centaur toilet paper? Nope, we use normal toilet paper. Every single human he talks to has these kinds of questions. He's over it a little bit, but he wants the job. So he's uh, being accommodating. He's being accommodating and allowing Christopher Walken incrementally a little bit more permission to invade his life with every answer. And we can tell that's where he, that's what he's doing emotionally. That's where the comedy is coming from is Chris Parnell emotionally getting upset, but not letting the bad thing stop. He's not feel for him. Yeah. They're letting it, he's letting it unravel at a natural satisfying pace throughout the sketch. Yes. He's not unraveling it within the first 30 seconds. And then where do you go from there? Right. He's keeping time. He's keeping the beat of the scene going. He's, he's allowing Christopher Walken is going to pronounce or read his cue cards in whatever way Christopher Walken's going to do that, Anne. But you can count on Chris Parnell to keep the beat in that scene. And I'm going to posit to you this way. If there, were, if there was a drummer in rock and roll who somehow, somehow played for the Temptations and then went on to also drum for The Who and Dolly Parton and James Taylor and Taylor Swift, and they all, every single one of those folks trusted that guy to keep the beat during the recording or the live shows for the set, if that person existed, wouldn't that person be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. The Rock yeah. and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, that's ab- why ab- Chris Parnell absolutely. deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. No, that that's a great case. And I love comparing, uh, in the Jane Curtin episode, I kind of compared her to like a good bass player. Like you don't know, yes. you can't really, she, she, she keeps things going and she she's vital to the band, but she doesn't get a lot of the credit. And, she is also somebody who know? can do that. She, yeah. she did that a lot. She was one of she the original. She did a lot for Belushi. She did that a lot for Bill Murray. She did, hey, while Gilda's playing the, the nerd girl, Jane Curtin is playing the emotional reality of that mom. And not crazy the way Bill Murray and, but I believe Jane Curtin in that, in that scene more than anybody else. I believe Jane Curtin in most scenes that she's in because she's playing the audience's perspective. In, I'm gonna say, eighty percent of her scenes, they didn't really let her do characters until her fifth season. Yeah, um, and then she, then, then she went, you know, she, she went crazy with them. Thank God, finally. Um, but yeah, Jan Hooks, Jane Curtin, Chris Parnell, they are the same ilk. I think they are a better reasoner than the ones that get the credit, like Hartman and Hater and uh, uh, Meadows and Aykroyd and Beck. Parnell, Curtin, and Hooks are better. Because yeah. they don't sell out their moments with a smirk or being wooden or underselling or overselling. And I always compared them to like a drummer or or, or a bass yeah. player. Because everybody, when they listen to, I guess, I guess most casual music listeners or whatever, they'll hear the lead singer. They'll hear the voice. They'll hear like the crunchy guitar that's up front. But then, then it takes a while to start appreciating that bass, start appreciating the drummer who's keeping the time and keeping everybody in yeah. line and in check. And so I think the more, as you view Chris Parnell's era of SNL and view some of those mm-hmm. classic sketches, I think on multiple viewings, you really start to appreciate Chris Parnell. And I think he is a performer. He's not in your face immediately, but on rewatches. And if you're, especially if you're a comedy nerd, he is a performer is so rewarding in the same sense that a good bass player or drummer is rewarding to a music fan. He may not get the votes that we're hoping for, but man, does he deserve it? We might be surprised. Man, does he it? Yeah, I, we'll see. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I. You need someone like Chris Parnell if you're building your all all star team. Yeah. Otherwise, you have a bunch of show ponies that don't know how to support each other. Yeah, exactly. But I guarantee you, every single person that you put in that all star cast would want Chris Parnell in that cast. Yeah, they would demand it. Like Will Ferrell <laughs> demanded exactly. that that Chris Parnell get back on the cast. 
And Parnell is kind of interesting to me because kind of the first thing that he really did on SNL that they went back to when he sort of made a name for himself was doing that Tom Brokaw impression. Mm -hmm. He did. He started doing that in his third episode. And he's not like known for impressions. But this was honestly, Dave, like super solid, like a super solid Mm -hmm. Brokaw. And I compared them side by side. Good evening. One of the president's oldest political friends was defiant and emotional tonight. Webster Hubble, indicted by Ken Starr today on tax evasion charges, said he will not cooperate with Starr against the president. This evening on NBC Nightly News, we'll take a look at how the national deficit will impact upon the wealthiest 1% and on the fleecing of America, a new study that links dyslexia to male pattern baldness. And it was like... (laughs) Pretty darn good the way Brokaw, uh, the way he portrayed Brokaw, especially in this Brokaw voicemail. Uh, He did it a little later on, but I don't know if you remember that Brokaw voicemail sketch that he did. I forget who who the host was, but just he was good. He like that was a good solid impression by Parnell. He auditioned with that. That was one of his audition characters. So he said, I read an interview where he said um, they wanted three impressions of three characters, but he gave him two impressions of four characters and. It worked because he didn't have a third, but Tom Brokaw was one of them. I mean, he wasn't the the biggest impressionist. Like, yeah, like I said, he did the the Tom Brokaw. I don't even know really. He did George W. Bush five times when they were Tried. kind of like in no yeah. man's land or like a, a purgatory as far as trying to find a George W. Bush. Will Forte but they, they, did one. They went to him first, right? Yeah, they, I believe to, so. He did it in season so twenty eight. When, when Will Ferrell leaves, who are you going to turn to? Yeah. To try to take a swing at that. Parnell. Yeah, right. Let's try, let's try Parnell first. Yeah, Probably they just had trouble finding one to follow Will Ferrell, but that's, I mean, that's understandable. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't expect For sure. <laughs> Parnell to be able no, to. Yeah, that, was a, that was an iconic impression. I was like, try, it's like trying to get somebody to do George H.W. Bush after Dana Carvey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gosh, I, I just had some classic Parnell. Like, for people who don't remember some of these sketches, like, uh, there was the Wayne when he played Wayne Porter. So it was he and Will Ferrell kind of like playing off each other. They weren't together in this. It was a runner. It was a two part, a two parter. So Chris Parnell played Wayne Porter. So he's running to be the leader of an island that people crashed on. In the eight years since we crashed here, I like to think I've made a difference here on the island. As head of the Treehouse Party, I led the Treehouse Building Initiative. I've sharpened sticks to use as weapons. And I helped kill the fat guy. Remember the fat guy? How annoying he was? How much food he ate? I got rid of him. And then uh, Will Ferrell comes on later in the episode as Kim Plunkett and had a response to Wayne Porter. Hi, I'm Kim Plunkett, founder of the Island Reform Party. Four years ago, I started drinking seawater. It's given me x-ray vision and a lot of great ideas for the future. First, I'll catch and eat that giant hot dog that's been running around the island. That's a no-brainer, folks. Second... I'll return to the airplane to full working order using nothing more than sand, good old-fashioned elbow grease, and this paperback copy of Coma by Robin Cook. And then Chris Parnell was perfect, even though they weren't together in the scene. You remembered Chris Parnell's real earnest nature of, you know, he's really wanting to be the leader of this island that yeah. they crashed on. But then Will it's Ferrell's just, of course, like the absurd, crazy guy. And, th- and that yeah. runner's held together in large part by Parnell's earnestness and seriousness. For sure. For sure. He is the consummate wingman. Whatever you need to support your idea, Parnell is going to deliver emotion, context, character, and fit in exactly where you need him to be. Even when people are feeding other people food out of their own mouths, like the Bird yes. family, Parnell's there. Keeping, st- keeping things grounded among in the absurdity of it all. He's so good at that. He's so good at being grounded in absurdity. And I really appreciate that. I mean, I spent I spent two years in Amsterdam at Boom Chicago. And, you know, Saturday night in Amsterdam is a little like um, Hell's Purgatory, Hell's Waiting Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little, it's chaotic, to say the least. Yeah. Fin- it's and in July, the sun goes down at 1030. You finish your show and uh, it's, it's like crazy party and it's quarter of the country it's that last night in amsterdam so i i love that kind of chaos and when i'm here in austin sometimes i go downtown on the holidays to experience that kind of chaos because i can't get it anywhere else the way i got in amsterdam and but i love being the calm person amongst the chaos 
I love that. I don't know what that does for my soul, but maybe it's trauma related. Who knows? <laughs> but I love it. And I, and I love being that in an improv scene and I love watching it uh, in comedy. And Chris Parnell does that better than anybody. And yeah. I really admire respect that not only is talent, but that specific skill set is something I aspire to in my 30 years of improv and sketch. I still aspire to that every Thursday night when I play with my improv troupe to be to just to touch that kind of part of comedy. Yeah. I, it, it touches me how, yeah. how generous it is, how generous <laughs> of a gift it is to give that to another performer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's like uh, the opposite of like a glory hog in, in yes. that sense, you know, like does it, consummate does, support. Does it need the spotlight and he knows that doesn't need the spotlight. He gets satisfaction out of it and he knows, I mean, I know part of him knows that true people who he respects will, will see that in him. They'll understand what he's doing. So he'll get gratification and respect on that level. I think he knows We're that. probably projecting a lot onto Chris Parnell. So I don't know, maybe, but this is part of the fun of doing a show like this is we can maybe like project motives and thoughts yeah. and everything. I know myself, I'm not a professional comedian or anything, but even like cracking jokes with my friends, I was always the one who would say something with a straight voice mm-hmm. and, and I would rely, I would rely on my friends to understand that I was joking. I didn't spoon feed them that I was joking. I would rely on them. I would have faith in my friends that they knew that I was joking. It, it would be funnier that I said it in a deadpan delivery than it if makes I just it said it wacky, you know? And I think part of that was, I think that's why I respected Chris Parnell. Cause that was my, my own amateur <laughs> com- yeah. comedic style in that way. You know, he makes it funnier. If, if you, as I tell my students all the time, if you are trying to, in a scene, trying to figure out what would be funny right now, you are in between the audience and the comedy and they can see you and they're not going to laugh while they see you trying to figure out what's funny to them. You just have to let the comedy be support the comedy, support the joke, but don't get in the way of the funny trying to, trying to fix it. You know what I mean? It's there. Just support it, support the comedy. Don't try to fix the comedy because the audience will hate you for it. Yeah. Trust your audience. He's trust the writing, trust your castmates. You know, like it's, I think you're right. And it's all about, emotional it's about trust and respect. And find your emotional center. That's your job. What is your character motivated by right now? And what uh, does your character want? And how can you express express that with your face and your voice? That's your job. Yeah. And I think people often apply it. They seem in their heads to think that those rules only apply to dramatic acting. But you're saying that's not the case. No. Comedy is harder than drama. Because drama is just be, comedy is being with rhythm, and it's so much harder. And that's what he's doing. He's acting with rhythm and pace. He's he's an artist. Yeah, Chris Parnell's an artist. So well said. So when we talk about when people think about SNL cast members and you know their their place in the show, recurring characters is kind of it's a big part of mm-hmm. of a cast member's legacy and he had one in particular we talked about brokaw which he did six times but he had a recurring character and i want to get your thoughts on this recurring character uh, toward the end of his tenure merv the perv mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so was that like stuff we've been talking about could you see that in, in merv the perv hmm merv the perv is definitely of its time <laughs> yes yeah we should say when- that 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 should be a preface when, before every show is a lot of the stuff we talk about is of its time. <laughs> back when Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby and Woody Allen were running amok and nobody wanted to say anything, uh, Merv the Perv was overtly perverted rather than secretly perverted. And it was an expression, I think, of the comedic times. You know, A lot of comedy is reflected by uh, the times that they're living in. A lot of stuff from the 70s doesn't even make sense anymore the Mm -hmm. comedic timing is weird and off you know you watch shows and some very few 70s and 80s shows hold up comedically uh you know welcome at cotter is just all over the place it was brilliant when i was a kid but i can't watch it now it's it's hard (laughs) um laverne and shirley holds up laverne and shirley's very funny happy days not so much anyway i (laughs) uh my point is that um comedy reflects what's happening in the country and what's not being talked about it talks about openly about things. And I think Merv the Perv is a perfect example of the shit that we were not talking about or addressing socially as a, as a country 
um, that was under the surface, but certainly uh, needed to be called out. So I think that's where that comedy comes from. Is Wouldn't it be funny if I really thought this? And I think it poisoned a lot of comedy, that kind of attitude poisoned a lot of comedy in the last 20 years of, I'm going to say some offensive stuff, and it's funny because you're laughing. But it's not really funny because they're laughing. It's They're laughing because they're shocked, and they're laughing because they are... It's weird to hear that out loud, and it's laughter is a ner- that that laughter is a nervous reaction, not uh, something that's funny. So I think that's where that comedy came from. You know, not a fan of his raps where he was talking about, uh, you know, getting all up inside the the guest host. I've I just watched a bunch of those. It's like, ugh, this is not holding yeah. up at all either. Yeah. But musically fantastic, very much of its time. The Dr. Yeah. Dre lyrics at the time. That's what he was doing for Nelly and all those kind of songs about let's knock you up <laughs> you're so hot i'm gonna knock you up lyrics yeah. um yeah well, so I think, uh, but well, you know I think characters he, like merv the perv and that type of content could age well yeah. if the perspective and the commentary is mm-hmm. right so i think the what's said could be fine but we have to be laughing like at the character and not with them when they're saying things right. like that it has to be on commentary about how that stuff is not okay you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but then it gets getting preachy unless, I mean, you really have to have really strong but it, take. But it could be subtle, too. Like, yeah, you know? Subtle is, here's the laugh I get from a subtle joke. Oh, so, oh, that's funny. But not a ha-ha-ha. Yeah, so you think maybe like, yeah, so you think maybe like preachy, it's it's really hard to do I don't know how like you'd, that. I don't know how you write a Murder of the Perp sketch yeah. and either have it not be preachy or just come across creepy. It's... You, it's a fine line, and maybe Chris is probably not the best person for that telling of that story. Maybe if you cast uh, Amy Poehler in that character, hmm. you might get a little more uh, uh, some legs out of that comedic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think she probably has a better take on why that's not okay. I don't know who wrote Merv the Perv. I'm going to assume it was Chris, but I don't know. Maybe it was Tina and Chris. Who knows? But, you know, those are the moments I was like, oh, Chris, you're better than this. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that, so that speaks to like, I think Chris is in a unique situation when we're talking about Hall of Fame cast members, because a lot of his stuff is one off mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and not necessarily yeah. recurring characters. His genius was like in those absurd, excellent one off sketches rather than, hey, Chris Parnell has this character. He didn't have like right. a Gilly or somebody like that that people just wanted to see every week, no. you know? But he played Gilly, you know, he would have played Gilly's teacher. Would, yeah, you know he, whoever you know instead of Will Forte, but uh, you know whatever characters that you remember from that era, Chris Parnell is probably right alongside of them, setting them up, and that whole cast recognizes his genius. You had uh, brought up earlier in the show, uh, Lazy Sunday, and that's and and I want to bring that up because of course we know Lazy Sunday basically like helped popularize YouTube. It kind of made people start saying the word viral and, you know, it started ushering in viral videos essentially. Yeah. And Andy Samberg and Lonely Island get all the credit for that amongst yeah. a lot of people. But we got to point out Chris Parnell was half, half of this video in this song. He and Andy Samberg, it wasn't Lonely Island, just Andy and, and the Lonely Island guys. Chris Parnell played Huge, huge role in this iconic sketch. Lazy Sunday, wake up in the late afternoon. Call Parnell just to see how he's doing. Hello, what up, Parn? Yo, Sandberg, what's cracking? You thinking what I'm thinking? Party up, man, it's happening. I'm my hunger pains, I stick it like duck tape. Just hit up Mac Yoga and Mac on some cupcakes. Now that bakery's got all about Bob Frosty. I love those cupcakes like McAdams loves Gosling. Gosling, 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 They would watch the weekend update raps while they're in high school or college and be enchanted by them. And so when they had a chance to do a rap video, they knew Parnell was going to be in it um, and started writing it and sent, and they sent it to him and he was down to do it. And it was a huge lift up for them that Parnell gave them huge, like, Hey, uh, let's make this, let's make this do this. And not only does that video lift Saturday night live to a new stratosphere and a new era, single-handedly it lifts youtube Mm -hmm. to its new level and its new era and there are a few people i've said this before in other podcasts 
There are a few people that have left Saturday Night Live and then changed comedy, like Chris Rock or Will Ferrell. Um, you know, those those guys changed comedy, at Eddie Murphy, after they changed, after Cone. they left Saturday Night Live. <laughs> but it is extremely rare, I don't think anybody since Belushi's done this, that changed comedy while on Saturday Night Live. And Lazy Sunday did that, and Lonely Island did that, and again... Could not have done that without the assist of Chris Parnell. And I wish Chris Parnell, like I'm advocating on his behalf that he needs to get more credit for being yeah. in, but for being in Lazy Sunday. <laughs> He's so good in it. He's so, He's so good, good in, in it. it. And he lends a credibility and a nerdiness that they needed. And that whole thing is just like nerdcore uh, to a T. And, you know, there's no one nerdier on that show at that point than Chris Parnell. Yeah, it's the juxtaposition of like his nerd persona and the hardcore rapping and what they're rapping about. It was just like the perfect special sauce that Chris provided yeah. there. Yeah, it was great. It was great. So before we move on to uh, um, kind of what he did, one thing in particular I want to talk about his post SNL. Is there anything else from SNL that that you want to highlight, like a specific mm. any specific sketches that you think people should know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, the Angry Boss sketch. I only casually mentioned it. It's, again, another problematic scene that barely holds up today. But it was one of my favorites. When I was living in Amsterdam, I was living with Joe Kelly from um, one of the Ted Lasso writers and Jordan Peele, this guy Randall Harm. We were all living in a, in a flat. And Joe Kelly's mom used to send us a VHS tape every week that had The Simpsons, that week's Simpsons, A Malcolm in the Middle, and Saturday Night Live from that weekend. And we got like that for a full season. It was great. Mm-hmm. So we would relish this like tape that would come once a week of month-old Saturday Night Live, and the Piers Brosnan episode. Uh, when Piers Brosnan is interviewing uh, for a job at the fourth best in-flight magazine, uh, and um, Will Ferrell's playing this boss that um, is abusing his employees left and right uh, in just the most misogynist and racist ways. Um, at the end of it, Chris Parnell runs in with a trident and a chain and threatens to kill his boss, and then Will Ferrell takes the trident from him and stabs Parnell, I believe we counted 37 times, <laughs> with it, with his own trident. And I cannot tell you how many times the four of us watched that sketch, over and over and over, mainly because of Chris Parnell. It's so the way he runs in. <laughs> Mr. Tarkanian, I am ready for you! I have been lifting weights and doing cocaine all day, and I want a big piece of you, sir! I love it. But to me, that is the most fun Chris Parnell moment because he is completely supporting this crazy person in the sketch at an emotional level that is he's been doing cocaine all day and is about to kill his boss. Where do you get where do you where how when you're off stage, how do you get there so that it is a believable and B does not overshadow Will Ferrell and C is completely uh, believable and D perfectly sets up you getting killed with your own trident in a minute. Yeah. A lot of it seems so natural. I don't know. It seems so natural. He makes it look so easy. And I know I could not do that moment. Come close to that moment. I don't know very many people that could, I don't know very, very many comedians that could, I don't know very many Saturday Night Live member cast members that could. And that moment to me is everything I love about Chris Parnell. And I can watch that moment over and over and over again and be happy. Yeah, what a great sketch, the evil boss sketch from the Pierce Brosnan yeah. episode. <laughs> uh, so can we take a minute to uh, just fawn over and appreciate Dr. Leo Spichemin? I'm a huge 30 Rock fan, and he might actually be my favorite character in the entirety of the series, quite honestly. Maybe like, a sitcom, generally. Yeah, sitcoms. and Chris has said One that this best. is his favorite character that he's played. I've heard him yeah. on an interview say this. So I'm validated by saying this, like how much I love Dr. Spichemin. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I would get excited anytime Chris Parnell appears on screen, pops up. But when that character specifically, you know, I'm also a big fan of Dr. Nick from The Simpsons. And that kind of like char- a doctor that doesn't know anything about what they're doing is fantastic. It's so funny. But so many classic, brilliant lines come out of Dr. Spichemin that are just so perfectly written jokes that, that, again, the doctor does not hear them as jokes. Parnell doesn't sell them as jokes. Mm-hmm. He sells them in a way that Dr. Nick always oversold the joke. But Dr. Spashemin never gives away that moment that 
Dr. Bashemin knows that he's in a comedy series in a way that a lot of characters in 30 Rock did. Well, it must be psychosomatic. Now, don't worry, that's just a fancy doctor word for your brain is broken. Unfortunately, there's no field of medicine that deals with the brain. But I can give you a pamphlet for a cult. Couldn't you just, you know, inject something right into his heart? I'd love to. But we have no way of knowing where the heart is. See, every human is different. Dr. Spichemin didn't know he was in a comedy series. And that's what made it so brilliant. Kind of, like... He didn't talk like he was a comedian. He didn't talk like... Da 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 da. He just said the line the way that doctor would. Yeah. But with the rhythm, I mean, it was all there. I mean, it's going to make you laugh because of how clean the joke is and the way he is emphasizing how much he believes what he is saying. That like integrity. Doctor, Doctor, that's what's so funny about it is the things that he's saying are so out of integrity, and he's saying it with a tone of so much integrity. Yeah. <laughs> and that dichotomy is what's making us laugh. That yeah. that dichotomy, that dynamic is making us laugh. How much he believes it and how false it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to think that Tina Tina Fey knew that Chris yeah. was the perfect person to play that that of course, character. Of course. Game yeah. recognizes game. Absolutely. Gosh. Tina Fey, brilliant, brilliant reasoner. I saw I I uh when I got to Chicago, she was on the main stage, her and Dratch were on the main stage of Second City, and I once to watched them perform a hundred times live every night as I was um, an usher at second city and just starting to work as a, as a house manager there. And Tina Fey is one of the all time great reasoners of comedy, but even she can recognize how brilliant Chris Parnell is at that skill set. All right, Dave. So we've come to the point in the episode where it's your responsibility now to mm. give the audience a pitch as to why the Iceman, Chris Parnell should be considered for the SNL Hall of Fame? Well, I'll tell you, I think I've done more than enough convincing throughout this podcast. Um, He raps, he sings, he holds the scene together. The best wingman you would ever want in a sketch. He's the most emotionally honest person in any sketch he's in. He can turn emotions on a dime and set up whatever the next joke is without losing any integrity for the sketch or himself or his character. So many people from Saturday Night Live and from comedy want to work with him because they know his value to their project, to their scene, to this character. And that evidence is throughout his tenure in Saturday Night Live, throughout his career post-Saturday Night Live. And in everything he does, he is pitch perfect which is all you ever want in a comedy sketch is for everybody to be pitch perfect and get out of the way of the joke and service the joke of the scene. And Chris does that better than anybody that's ever been in Saturday Live. bass is so fat lay it down baby yeah (laughs) that's not the singer i wanted to put in there but you know what it's there now and uh it's gonna live on in perpetuity so there's that how uh did you find that conversation i thought there was a lot of meat on that bone and dave uh devoured it in a in a fantastic fashion. I, you know, I'm not sure whether Parnell is a, is a lock for the hall of fame. Uh, I, I do think he rides the pine for a bit and, and ultimately ends up in there, but I, I certainly don't find him a first ballot hall of famer. And it's, it's simply, uh, it's simply due to the fact that I think all the metrics that he, um, excels at, he's, you know, number two, uh, I, I think when you look at utility men, you'd put Phil Hartman uh, uh, ahead of him. And when you look at uh, servicing the joke, well, of course, you'd put Jimmy Fallon there. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon often blew the joke with his with his uh, breakups and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I don't have any more, uh, you know, specificity about that. But um, 
I, that's just sort of my gut. My gut is that you can slot in, in all the key metrics, you can slot in somebody just ahead of Parnell. Now, cumulatively, uh, his numbers then add up quite nicely to, you know, uh, a number 1A or a number 2. And he should ultimately end up in, in the HOF, uh, I, I, I think. What do you think? It's going to ultimately be up to you. So get at her. Let's head to the Hall of Fame sketch now. This one you're going to recognize because last year on the Christopher Walken episode, we used this sketch as well. And that is Centaur Job Interview. We chose it because Parnell just kills in this sketch. So let's go to it now. This is Centaur Job Interview with Chris Parnell on the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. I'm sorry, Dr. Wallace, but I'm afraid we're looking for someone with a little more experience to fill our chief resident position. I understand. So did I get the job? No, you didn't. <sighs> Thank you. You won't regret this. I'll see you Monday morning. <laughs> you didn't get the job. Uh, Debbie, please send in the next applicant. Dr. Winter. Hello. Oh. <laughs> You must be Dr. Levitt. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. You've come highly recommended. Well, a couple of those recommendations came from Yale men, so I hope you won't hold that against me. <laughs> now, as you know, we're becoming a teaching hospital. Sit, please. I wish I could. <laughs> Our new chief resident will help lead that transition. Uh, well, at Johns Hopkins, I actually chaired the faculty committee that oversaw coordination between the school and the hospital. As I said, your qualifications are most impressive. Thank you. Now, would you mind if I ask you a few questions about being a centaur? Please, go ahead. Believe me, I've heard them all. Can I ride you? <laughs> Only if I can ride you. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on... Could you enter yourself in the Kentucky Derby? I don't know. If you did, would you have to have a little horse riding on you, like instead of a jockey? I, I see what you're saying, but again, I really don't know. Because it seems like you already have a jockey with the person part of you. Right. Um, are we going to discuss my medical qualifications? The or? rest of the interview will be centaur questions. <laughs> Do you have sex with horses or with human women? Uh, neither. I'm really only attracted to other centaurs. Okay. What, what if it was a horse with a mask of a woman on it? No. I mean, would you have sex with a monkey if it had a mask on? This interview is not about me. <laughs> what if you saw a horse, but it was standing so that... Its head was in a barn or something. Would you maybe be attracted to that horse's rear end? Uh, I don't... Where is the head exactly? It's in the barn. Or behind a door or a vase or something. So you can't see it. Uh, uh, I might be attracted to it, briefly. Okay. So let's say, hypothetically, you could have sex with the back end. And it's guaranteed to be the greatest sex you've ever had, but... You'd never know if it was a horse or a centaur. Hmm, you know, that's uh, pretty intriguing. Uh, if I'd really never know, I, I guess I would. It was a horse. Oh, come on. <laughs> it was a horse. Deal with it. Now, could you make the back half of you into glue, and then could the person part of you use that glue to repair a bird feeder? Yes. Do you dump wherever you're standing, or do you use toilets? Or do you use some magical centaur toilet? We use regular bathrooms. Do you use special centaur toilet paper? Nope, we use normal toilet paper. How do you reach back there? <laughs> to wipe yourself. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, there is a device we use. It's called an Ogbesian. It's a stainless steel telescoping rod with ripper claws and a sort of toggle line that allows you to move the paper back and forth. So, there's 
A company that manufactures Centaur ass wipers. Augbesians, yes. Um, there's a store that's sort of like a crate and barrel for Centaurs called Augbesians and such. Um, there's one on 57th Street. I've seen that establishment. You, you eat steak. Is that some kind of cannibalism? Uh, I, I'm sorry. Can, can we return to a line of questioning related to my medical qualifications? Absolutely. Let me just find the right paperwork. Thank you. Um, here we go. Is there centaur pornography? That is not a medical question. Do you want this job? Yes, there is centaur porn. If I were to watch centaur porn, but with the bottom of the screen blocked out with a piece of cardboard, would I find the human halves of the female actresses appealing? Well, maybe, but you got to remember that at some point there's going to be a horse penis in there. Fair enough. I think that's all the central questions I have. I want to thank you for coming in. We'll be in touch. I, I appreciate it. Um, can I just ask you, did I get the job? No. I'm sorry. We don't hire dirty centaurs. That is, uh, that's a masterclass. Uh, Walken is uh, just killing it in the host role. And, of course, his delivery is Walken-esque and uh, amazing. But it's the matter-of-fact responses from Parnell and the acting chops that he has that he really sells uh, everything that he is doing in this ridiculous centaur costume. Uh, you know, when when he says at the end, when he says, but ultimately there might be a horse penis. You know, it's like he's thinking of it off the top of his head. He's not reading it off cue cards. And uh, that's a... a that's a that's a real skill. So, uh, good luck, Chris Parnell. Thank you very much, Dave Buckman, and of course, on behalf of my colleagues, Matt Ardill and Thomas Senna, I wish you a fond farewell. Now, on your way out, if you would do me a favor, as you pass the weekend update exhibit, there's a light switch on the wall. Turn it off, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. Do podcasts and such.